Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast, recorded on March 9, 2018, here in Seoul, Korea. Joining me today in the studio are Chad O'Carroll. Hi there. Professor Andrei Lankov. Hello. And Fyodor Tertitsky. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about the recent news out of Pyongyang and Washington about possible summits and denuclearization talks. But before we get started, I need to tell you all about our NK News subscription giveaway, valued at $300 US dollars. One random reviewer on the iTunes or Apple podcast app per week will win that free membership, so do please review us after each episode and you might win. That will enable you to read the stories that we refer to in the podcast as well as lots of other excellent information available at nknews.org. So let's get straight into it. Let's briefly recap for our listeners what has happened in the last few days. Chad, tell us about the visit to Pyongyang by two senior South Korean envoys. Well, yeah, on Monday, uh, the envoys went to Pyongyang and there was no real reporting coming out of uh, DPRK, except from the South Korean uh, Blue House and Foreign Ministry. We quickly learned that President Moon would be invited to a summit meeting or that a summit meeting would be taking place with President Moon at the end of April. That was agreed to take place in Panmunjom, which was quite a big development because when Kim Jong-un made the offer to meet with Moon, it was originally for Pyongyang. And now he's going to be technically coming to South Korean territory mm-hmm. because it will take place at Peace House on the South Korean side of the DMZ. It's really been a roller coaster ride, though, because that was a big enough development. And then just one or two days later, we have this news broken today outside yes. I don't want to get into that just yet. I want to hold that off. So the Peace House in Panmunjom, that was the setting for the January meetings, was it not? Between uh, North Korea and South Korea about the Olympic delegations? I think it was a Freedom House, which is... Freedom House? Yes, just two houses, two big buildings located on this South Korean part of uh, Panmunjom. Do we know what impressions the South Korean envoys got of uh, Kim Jong-un? I think we do not. I think that's classified information you ask. I think it's not just classified, it's seriously classified. It's top secret. Of course, they did tell pretty much everything you noticed, including, you know, color of his nose. But I don't think they are going to learn anything about it for many years, if not decades to come. Huh, interesting. Okay, now after their visit to Pyongyang, did they travel straight to Washington to give a message to President Trump or did they stop off in Seoul first? There was a quick stop-off in Seoul. I mean, they had to be uh, to get the flight yesterday on Thursday from Incheon. Did they meet with President Moon? Do we know? Presumably. Yeah. Uh, almost certainly. So, and you can't just fly from Pyongyang to Washington. There is, like, no means to do it. <laughs> now, was this visit to Washington always planned, or was this an impromptu decision? There, it was planned ahead of the trip to uh, Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. The South Korean delegation said that they would first go to Pyongyang, meet with Kim Jong-un, and then immediately go to Washington to relay the results of that dialogue to uh, the US at the very highest levels. We know, obviously, that President Moon has uh, been invited for a summit at the end of April. Do we know anything more about the personal message from uh, Kim Jong-un to uh, President Trump? nothing was related to the public. Because uh, basically this morning, Seoul time of course, we all woke up and we learned uh, sudden news that uh, they suggested a summit and in a few minutes that Trump accepted it. That was all. Okay, so they did carry some kind of personal message from Kim Jong-un to President Trump, is that correct? Seems so. Notably, it wasn't a letter. From what we've heard, it was uh, transmitted verbally. So, so an oral message. Yes, hmm, okay. an oral invitation. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, this morning, as Fyodor just hinted, Seoul time, President Trump uh, gave an announcement. And what exactly did he say? President Trump 
Well, he, he didn't actually deliver the acceptance. The South Koreans uh, were the ones outside the head of national security was outside the White House conveying that a summit meeting had been proposed by Kim Jong-un and that the US President Trump had agreed to do it sometime before or in May. Quite interesting optics that the South Koreans have been provided the sort of uh, spotlight to mm. do this. It's but quite... he did tweet about it, Charles, ah, remember. He did, a yeah. meeting is planned, uh, full stop. He didn't say they are going to meet in Pyongyang, by the way, which is quite interesting. It is interesting, though, as Chad says, that it's the South Koreans who were giving the message from Pyongyang and now the South Koreans who were also allowed to relay the message back from, from President Trump. So, as you say, they have been given the spotlight to uh, to be giving all the messages to the press. Yeah, and, and that is slightly strange because, I mean, this week Andre wrote a column about, I believe it was about the South Korean trip to Pyongyang, and he rightly said that, why do the North Koreans need... South Korea to talk to the US. Uh-huh. They're able to do this yeah. by themselves. With a great deal of certainty, I always said, yes, uh, talks are coming. Mm-hmm. Frankly, I did not expect that we are talking about the summit, but some kind of high-level talks, they were definitely being prepared. It was always a question, why should North Koreans and Americans need South Korea's participation? Suddenly we discovered that, well, they did need it. I'm slightly lost, hmm. and this is not what I expected. And I went on record saying that it's unlikely. Well, I was wrong. Let's just review the history here. There was the first inter-Korean summit between South Korean President Kim Dae-jung and the late chairman Kim Jong-il was in 2000. And the second summit was held between uh, South Korean President Noor Moo-hyun and Kim Jong-il in 2008, hmm. just before the presidential election. But 2007. 2007. I'm sorry. Just in, yes. Uh, it's been 10 years, well, more than 10 years since any kind of inter-Korean summit. What can we expect? will come out of this things are basically moving into the expected duration uh, direction but with uninspected speed uh, personally i'm still inclined to believe that the major talks should happen between president trump and kim jong-un because the major problem is what to do about the north korean nuclear program Mm-hmm. Some kind of compromise is likely to be forged. And only once there is uh, some development on the nuclear issue, it will become possible for North and South Koreans to start talking between themselves meaningfully. Uh, because it's quite clear what South Korea would like to give and North Korea will be very happy to take. This is some kind of economic interaction. Maybe, you know, restarting the Kasson industrial zone or some kind of activities which can be described as, you know, exchanges and trade. Actually, they are going to be heavily subsidized by the South Koreans, mm-hmm. as it has always been the case. I do not expect South Koreans to negotiate it unless they are given green light by the Americans. Because so far they have been very careful, being afraid that any negotiations of this kind will be seen as infringement of the sanctions regime. Yes, I was just going to say that surely any uh, serious package of economic engagement would uh, be problematic at the very least, given the current uh, tranche of sanctions that are uh, active. Uh, agreed. And also two things I slightly disagree with. Foundry, the schedule is already set. And it's first uh, first South uh-huh. Korea is going to uh-huh. be the North and only then will the American president meet Kim Jong-un. Exactly. And uh, what I would like to point, there is a big spectrum which is not uh, covered by sanctions. What I'm talking is tourism. Chinese companies still operate a lot of tourist projects in North Korea which are not covered by United Nations sanctions. So theoretically, if you restart uh, tourist projects, 
project to Kimgan and to Kesson. This is totally doable and I think much more doable than Kesson Industrial Complex. Though, as we've discussed before, there are UN sanctions which prohibit bulk cash transfers to North Korea. And so the question is, can the South Koreans create an optical framework that can allow for a resumption of something that generates a lot of money like the Kumgang Tours whilst not somehow inadvertently funding North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. It probably can be done if there's will on the South Korean side and there is backing on the US side. Technically, there is no uh, rule that says you can't have things like tourism going. It's just when it becomes that scale of tourism and there's that much cash being provided, a lot of people on the conservative end of the spectrum, in especially the US, will view that as bulk cash transfer, mm-hmm. which could aid those programs. Fiona, you said that the uh, the schedule for meetings has been fixed, so it'll be uh, North Korea, South Korea first, and then North Korea, um, the, the United States. Does that mean there's no scope for a, a three-way meeting in the short-term future? Doesn't seem so, because the uh, inter-Korean summit is scheduled for late April, and American-North Korean summit is scheduled for sometime in May. Mm-hmm. I mean, theoretically, it can all, always be changed. Let us not forget that dates for both uh, first and second uh, inter-Korean summit were changed mm-hmm. at a request from North Korea. But as for now, it seems that uh, the summit is not going to be a trilateral. Though um, one of the South Korean military sources we spoke to today, who shall remain nameless, he said trilateral summit in April or May, war in September. That was his forecast. And we will all die. Um, an analyst I heard recently, I can't remember who it was, suggested that uh, it's in bilateral meetings and deals that North Korea generally has the upper hand. Group frameworks like trilaterals or six-party talks, these are better for ensuring that deals work in the long term. Uh, maybe, yes, but it's probably exactly the reason why North Koreans have never been really enthusiastic about multilateral diplomacy. They would like to talk with all their opposite numbers uh, separately and then try to manipulate them and use their contradictions, rivalries, misunderstanding to get some advantages. I see, to drive a wedge between the allies, for example. Uh, In this case, of course, North Korea is one of their major dreams is to drive the wedge between Seoul and Washington. But but even if it's not the case, you can just uh, exploit minor, relatively minor differences to your advantage. Let us remember what happened with unification flag on Paralympics. North Korea came and said we want Leon rocks on them. South Korea said, no, we don't want to upset Japan. And they are now marching under separate flags. The islands that are called Dokdo by South Korea, or by, by both Koreas, and Takeshima by Japan. Yes. Exactly. And you're and referring to them by their French name of Leon Kutrok. It's not French, because it's I would like international to be name. Uh, now, Chad, you and the team of uh, NK News monitor KCNA and Rodong Shinmun. Uh, have there been any reports about the events of the last few days coming out from North Korean media? Well, I think I'll defer to Fyodor on this because I know he's been watching it quite closely. So in Roland Shinmon, uh, it's quite interesting. They mm-hmm. said about uh, a South Korean delegation coming to Pyongyang. Mm-hmm. They said uh, that Kim Jong Un met them, and they said that uh, they had proposed a summit. Full stop. Nothing else. And the messages were very, very surprisingly short. Mm. And say one of the messages uh, about the departure of the delegation was on the page three. So it's they try to sort of play it down, but 
Was there any photograph in the Rodong Shinmun or footage shown on KCNA of the meeting itself? Yes, first and second page were dedicated to it. Yeah, on the day, this, the, 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 on Monday when the South Koreans arrived, there was a lot of uh, graphic material captured mm. by North Korea's mm-hmm. journalists, including some really interesting sort of 360 shots of, mm. of Kim Jong-un while he was talking and on one side of the table faced by everyone else on the other side. It seemed they wanted to portray that Clearly. And what's interesting is that is quite different to after the New Year's speech when we did our initial North Korean media analysis. We saw that Nodong Shinman, for example, was kind of downplaying some of the first inter-Korean meetings that took place in January. They were kind of far back in page three, page four of the Nodong Shinman, which suggested that there was some trepidation or uncertainty from the North Korean side about just how much stock to put into this initiative. Yes. Now it seems it big priority. Fyodor, you said that uh, the newspaper reporting didn't mention the outcomes of the meeting. They didn't say a summit would take place. They hmm. said South Koreans suggested a summit. My explanation is that they would like to have an opportunity to walk out at the last moment. If, before the summit before, actually takes before place. Before the summit, we, we tell South Koreans, well, um, you're bastards, you like did something wrong, we are not going to talk to you. And um, to the general population, they don't say anything in Rodan Shinmon, but privately they say, well, we suggested, but the Supreme Leader decided not to accept because we're bad. Well, let me ask all three of you at the moment, who do you think is in charge? Who's in the driver's seat of all this? Who has the initiative? I would say Kim Jong-un. Undoubtedly, because, and I'll keep it very quick, um, North Korea stated last year it's completed its uh, state nuclear force. Maybe we disagree with that, but let's be honest, it's proved that it has ICBMs that can at least reach a very high altitude and ipso facto logically should be able to go quite far. So it's able to offer a freeze with almost no cost to its missile engineers and it can try and reap some uh, positive benefits from the U.S., Trump can receive maybe two or three years of trouble-free Korean relations. And uh, for Kim, I don't think it changes much. For now, I think he's he's in the driving seat. Mm. I think he started it and uh, Moon Jae-in uh, took over and he quite skillfully manipulates it. But it all started with North Korea and if they walk out, it all stops. So uh, you, you think that President Moon is handling it well? I think he's handling it pretty well. Uh, but I would agree it's uh, Kim Jong-un and North Korean side uh, because they clearly worry about the developments. They are facing what seems to be a real probability of an American strike and they don't want to be shot at. Mm. So they decided probably it's a good time to slow down, especially because now when they have almost arrived to their major destination, that is an ICBM capable of hitting the continental United States, they are almost there. They can stop for a while because they understand if they are pushy, if they do what they usually do, there is a growing chance that they are going to be awakened one night by the sound of descending U.S. cruise missiles. And this is not what they want. Just one sec, not just continental United States, but specifically East Coast, mm-hmm. because that's uh-huh. where the capital is located. So given that, uh, will, nu- will denuclearization actually be on the table? Yes, it will be claimed to be on the table because North Koreans did something which I believe they should do long time ago. What's that? 
They should say they love denuclearization uh-huh. in some distant point at a very brilliant, wonderful future. Let's not forget that the United States, as well as Russia or China or other nuclear countries, according to the letter of 1968 Non-Proliferation Treaty, as if everybody is citing these days, all these countries are committed to the eventual denuclearization. Uh-huh. Why not for the North Korean, not, why not to join the club and say we also would like to get rid of these awful, horrid nuclear weapons at some point in the future? In practice, of course, they will be working hard to make more weapons and better weapons. Of course, delivering that in some beautiful future, maybe in the 24th century, they will get rid of it. The upcoming summit at the end of April will involve Kim Jong-un, coming to Panmunjom for a meeting with President Moon, if that goes ahead. Would you like to comment, Fyodor, on the uh, the optics of that? What would that mean? What's the significance of that? And how would the North Korean media portray Kim Jong-un going down to the South for a meeting? If it would be allowed to South Korea as well to cover it, that's first. Second, it's extremely unprecedented because no ruling member of the Kim dynasty has ever been to South Korea before. And like formally no, crossed... Except for that visit 1950. of... Uh, 1950, it wasn't South, Andre, if you want to, like, yes. to, to make interesting jokes. And I think even in 1950, he didn't arrive to the capital. It was not made public, but he was here for a while, for a few days in summer. 1950. But the optic, let's focus on the present meeting or the, the future meeting in, uh, in April. If it does go ahead and, and, and Kim Jong-un crosses that line, what do you think, Professor Lankov? Uh, well, so first of all, uh, of course, they will report a lot how enthusiastic are the working masses of South Korea and progressive students and blah, 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 oh, yes. about the presence of the great leader who is so much popular here. But basically, what else? Pretty much, they're going to talk a lot, but the fact that it's happening in South Korea, I don't think it's going to be much emphasized uh, because in it's a minor concession from there. From mm. their point of view, uh, because in this station, uh, you basically go to somebody who is your superior. Yes. And it was a major concession from the South Korean side when they agreed to have two summits in a row in Pyongyang. Right. Uh, so, well, it's something which was sort of expected. As a matter of fact, uh, their willingness to accept it shows that they are re- really desperate for a summit. Mm. But I don't think it's going to be much emphasized. Just will tell that first time on the south on the southern soil, everybody is so proud. He lo- he's loved by everybody. Mm-hmm. South Koreans are full of joy. Blah blah blah. I would slightly argue with yeah. the, the idea that uh, it's like a major concession because when Trump comes to South Korea, he's not perce- perceived as an inferior one. I think this culture is disappearing. Yes, but it's disappearing here. But I'm not sure whether it's disappearing in uh, North Korea. It's, Point taken. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think that there is always that rivalry between the two capitals of Pyongyang and Seoul, isn't there? And that's, yeah. that's perhaps a, a heavy symbolism there. Now, let's assume that the May meeting between President Trump and uh, Secretary Kim Jong-un does go ahead. Where do we think that will be? I started the day thinking perhaps a third country, uh, Indonesia, yeah, because these have been places used in the past for things like returning people like Charles Jenkins after he was repatriated from North Korea. There were meetings that took place uh, in Indonesia for that. Trump going to Pyongyang, I don't think any other US president would do it, but I think Trump would. Perhaps the DMZ, Panmunjom. I cannot imagine Kim Jong-un going far from the Korean Peninsula. The idea of him going to the US, for example, mm. it seems preposterous because Kim Jong-un is personally designated by the US Department of Treasury as a 
gross violator of human rights. Okay. Uh, that was an Obama administration relic. It's still very much in play. That would create lots of legal difficulties. Realistically, Kim Jong-un traveling that far for his first trip seems quite far-fetched. That being said, right now, everything just seems to be moving so quickly that I could well be eating my words in a few weeks. But at the very moment, your money would be on Trump probably visiting Pyongyang, would it? Yeah. Uh, my money, money would be on Trump going to Panmunjom and meeting on Panmunjom. Ah. Uh, but Pyongyang might work too. They both uh, look quite real probabilities. Uh, third countries would be nice, but where? Russia is not good because it would be good few years ago, now, but now we have this scandal about, you know, the evil Russians who have elected Trump the US president. Then uh, China... Well, maybe it's also not a good neutral enough, but even though it's possible, mm-hmm. um, some yeah, some small two. countries, yes, small small countries, so which probably Mongolia is or the only suitable place, not far enough, and everything. Maybe Mongolia, indeed, but more likely either Pyongyang or Panmunjom. And Mongolia's foreign minister was in Pyongyang just a few weeks ago. We still don't know really what he was doing there but um and i believe that ulaanbaatar was the venue for a meeting between the mayors of seoul and pyongyang last year was it not i believe so yeah uh the next question i suppose well mildly it's in uh, range of air choreo jets as well ah, importantly that's very important yeah do you think that president trump will be bringing any hamburgers with him to the meeting why not and i think that uh, uh kim Jong-un probably loves hamburgers does trump actually have what it takes to make a deal that lasts longer than it takes for the ink on the page to dry he has cruise missiles and aircraft carriers or real or fake villainous to put them into action uh, because in the end of the day i believe the reasons why north koreans are so willing to accept compromises they were decisively unenthusiastic about for a long time is that they are just afraid of a possible American military operation first Mm. and then they're probably afraid it's probably less significant but still uh, of the likely results of their unusually tough economic sanctions therefore as long as Mr. Trump has weapons big big button so to say and also perceived villainous to push this button if necessary well i believe that deal is likely to exist but it also implies that donald trump does not merely have a button but is willing if possible to sacrifice some people in seoul i mean the city of seoul i mean civilians in seoul like us like us like people sitting in this office um basically within the shooting range of the korean north korean guns and actually in one of the areas which is their primary target donald trump is seen as rare nearly exceptional u.s president who can sacrifice people like us and people in this building Uh, so it makes him more terrifying for north koreans it's a combination of sanctions regime and the threat of military action that has brought us to this point Absolutely, but I would emphasize threats of the military actions. Because sanctions regime, yes, it's tough, but it's yet to have any impact. Uh, Prices on all major commodities in North Korea are stable. Exchange rate is stable. There are no signs of economic problems so far. They will probably show up. 
Mm-hmm. And even the analysts are seriously divided on how serious the impact of these sanctions is likely to be. There are people who believe that North Korea is sliding towards a massive famine, and there are people there who say that nothing is likely going to happen at all. And both groups can include very knowledgeable people, mm-hmm. so nobody knows. And definitely, I think for North Koreans worry about it, but it's too early to panic about economy, and it's the right time to panic about possible strikes. I mean, the North Koreans can make a very clear package of concessions right now, halt on nuclear and ICBM testing, potentially even satellite testing, rocket engine, missile engine testing on the ground, uh, which is pretty compelling right now for any US president who wants to not have to worry about this area of the, the world too much. In return, I think there are some things the US administration can offer that are, are not too controversial. Mm. Food for infants and babies, mm-hmm. uh, medical supplies. They could easily reverse the ban on US tourists going to North Korea. They could spearhead a push at the UN Security Council to re- relax some of the sanctions on things like seafood, the non-controversial areas. They could provide basic energy assistance, uh, solar farms, basic infrastructure, and so on. I think where it gets complicated on the US end of the spectrum is, A, sanctions that involve the Congress, and B, anything that involves hard cash. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure that North Koreans will demand at least partial cancellation of the UN sanctions. Most likely, they hope to get back to the situation which existed in early 2016, before the sanctions against coal trade mm-hmm. were introduced in uh, late February or early March, I don't remember exactly, 2016. And of course, all subsequent additional sanctions, which are pretty close to a complete embargo, because essentially North Korea is now banned from selling pretty much anything, any kind of good, which any kind of merchandise which is selling well on the international market. The list of such me- kinds of merchandise is very short. They are not a great economic power. It's largely seafood, mineral resources, especially coal and iron ore, uh, textile, and it's pretty much all, and labor. And most of the staff were banned very recently within the last two years, so probably North Koreans will say, roll sanctions back. Not to 2006 level, not even to 2013 level, but 2016. And you think Trump can do that? Uh, it's UN sanctions. I think he can. He cannot, unfortunately, move sanctions which were introduced by Congress mm. because such sanctions are essentially unmovable and completely useless as a diplomatic tool. It's just a kind of, as they say, virtue signaling. Uh, congressmen showing how tough they are on the bad guys across the world without caring much that they're actually seriously strengthening these guys. It will go, look very good in their, uh, with their voters and this is the only thing they care about. Uh, but we are talking about the UN sanctions, and if the US suggests some kind of uh, partial removal, other permanent members, like uh, which is Russia and China, will be only too happy to accept such uh, relaxation. I'd say China would probably need some more persuasion with coal embargo, because it's actually China who is enforcing or not enforcing it, so it's about the economy, and we wouldn't like the economy to be run from Washington. And also, I think that France and United Kingdom, let us not forget about them, they would also like some explanation about uh, some guarantees that it will not especially France. Especially France. That's going to be a big issue on the US priority list, which is ensuring that whatever happens post-summit, there is zero chance that you, uh, DPRK will be proliferating 
to state and non-state actors. That's going to be a very, very significant goal for the Are US. Are you talking about selling uh, missile technology or nuclear or both? Both. And in addition, conventional material at North Korea has always been involved in that kind of stuff. Yeah. But predominantly, as far as I understand it, the US priorities are no testing, no exporting, and progress towards denuclearization. Well, it sounds good and Americans will demand it, but frankly, I don't see how they can stop it. Right now, I think for the time being, if some kind of compromise we are discussing now is forged, North Koreans will behave themselves largely because they have seen that Donald Trump is different from other presidents. Under the next administration, somebody else mm. running, see, living in the White House, well, they can basically resume their old program. Mm. And what will prevent them from uh, proliferating, especially because it's going to be, you know, plausible deniability schemes in most cases. So you sound uh, not so optimistic about the future then, Professor Lankov. In uh, long, long-term future, I'm not very optimistic. But what do you mean by optimism? Uh, for the short term, well, I spent last year worrying where I should send my family if one day I'm going to be awakened by sounds of explosions near mm. my house. Uh, so I, it's uh, most welcome, like all people in Korea, at least people who had good idea what was going on, yeah. we should sign with relief. We should be quite happy because, you know, five years, seven years of stability and peace is good. And then probably we are going to be find themselves again in the old situation. But, well, things might probably will change. But I've got to say, we should also think bigger picture. Look at what's going on with the US and Iran right now. That deal is really not in good health. And Donald Trump has been very vocal from the election campaign forward that Obama signed one of the worst deals mm. possible, certify it back in October. It got kicked to Congress. There are all sorts of complications now. That, to me, suggests the US is going to have very high standards about minimal levels of agreement. And we, we know there's obviously the Yongbyon plutonium reprocessing facility, yes. the experimental reactor, but there are also these uh, highly enriched uranium vectors that no one really knows where mm -hmm. they are. And the problem is, we, this was one of the reasons the six-party talks fell apart. Mm -hmm. The George Bush administration out of nowhere said, we've got intelligence that you're producing highly enriched uranium. In the open source, there is still no clarity on where that is. So how does the US and North Korea agree to a potential inspections regime and, and so on? It gets very, very iffy. And if anything is agreed, I think... Uh, Dr. Lankov made it quite clear. That I think the North Koreans are aware that there could be serious problems if they cheat and get caught under Trump. I think that's it. Mm. They, yeah. uh, but it's exactly because Trump has is an unusually bellicose president who does not care about, at least does not care that much about possible damage to the U.S. allies and the, the U.S. international alliance system. It's a rather unusual president. And we probably are not going to see anybody like that in the near future in the White House. Mm -hmm. Of course, you don't know. Things can be very surprising. Uh, so as long as they are afraid of Trump, as long as they believe that somebody who is in charge of the U.S. military can order a strike, even if they are capable of killing few ten thousand, few hundred thousand people in Seoul, but strike will happen anyway, as long as they know it, they will behave 
very, very carefully. They will be cautious. But once this kind of fear is gone, well, we are probably going to be back to the square one, to the situation which has existed until recently. It existed until Trump moved into the White House early last year. Let me uh, finish up with my last question now, since we're running out of time with the podcast here. Uh, Fyodor, this question I'd like you to start off with. What are the risks for Kim Jong-un, Moon Jae-in and Donald Trump in having these upcoming talks? Are there any specific risks that uh, occur to you? Well, uh, risks, you mean how they can suffer from it? I I think no one would suffer from talks. There are no risks of sitting down and talking. No great loss of political capital or anything else? Unlikely. Summit is very popular here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they agreed to talk on uh, uh, nuclear weapons, which will silence the local opposition. Trump, uh, I guess this also applies. And with Kim Jong-un, well, he met the American president, he met the South Korean president. I don't think the public would be that displeased. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lankov? I would agree too. Uh, because, well, in the long run, it's quite possible that North Koreans once again will outsmart all their opponents, mm-hmm. and especially Donald Trump, and maybe historians of the future, maybe not so distant future, are going to criticize him. But for the time being, well, I think he is going to get, um, I think everything is going to be fine, at least in the near future. If this was Obama, I'd say there are a lot of risks. Uh, but with Trump, he has a lot of support from the more hawkish elements of the U.S. administration. And I think they will appreciate that he is engaging in this endeavor, if only to check a box before a need for military conflict. And if there is a failure that articulates as a result of these talks, it will be a lot easier for the U.S. side to justify military action in future because Trump will have done what no U.S. president has ever done. Just a quick follow-up question, actually. Um, Is there a lack of career expertise in the White House and the current uh, State Department that could be a problem in these talks, or does he have enough people on board? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, As far as I'm aware, Sidney Siler is the, the the best they have who has serious career expertise. He's at USFK here in Seoul. Um, they might need to get him involved. Mm-hmm. I know Alison Hooker uh-huh. um, is big on career portfolio as well. But Joe Yoon's just left. Yeah. Obviously, there's no ambassador. Andre, you, you talk to the Americans uh, a lot. I uh, would say that in the State Department situation, is indeed is a bit difficult. They have some people, but none of them... Uh, have enough experience. Uh, in the National Security Council, I think that you basically mentioned uh, Ms. Hooker, and they have some other very smart, very knowledgeable people, not necessarily about Kyrie, but about East Asia. The Department of Defense, no purge has happened there, uh, so they are quite old, good, smart, knowledgeable people are at place. So basically, I would say there are problems with the State Department, but otherwise, they have smart people. It has always been the problem with U.S. policy. People who were dealing specifically with local issues, like Korean issues, they usually are very realistic, pragmatic, smart, non-ideological. But because Korea is such a big issue, because it's nuclear weapons, real decisions are made by people much higher up in the hierarchy who have very poor understanding of the Korean situation and who do not necessarily listen to their professional advice. And I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it on that note. Uh, thank you once again to our in-studio guests, Career Risk Group Managing Director Chad O'Carroll. 
Professor Andre Lankov and NK News analyst Fyodor Tetsitsky. Thank you for coming on the NK News podcast. Don't forget, listeners, you can listen to all of our shows as well as read full bios and show notes on our website, www.nknews.org. NK News is the leading repository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. You can also send feedback, comments, questions, and guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chatter Carroll and Christina Lee. Lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer on the iTunes or Apple podcast app per week will win a free NK News membership. So please review us after listening and you might win. Hear me next time. <laughs> <laughs>